Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Immigration Briefs, a podcast that reviews the latest immigration news every week. I'm your host, Adam Frank. Let's dive right in. Our first quick take today is the U.S. must issue visas during the travel ban. This is something that I've been saying for quite a while now, in fact, since the travel bans begin and first went into place, that the travel bans that were first enacted under Trump, and in case you're not quite sure what I'm talking about, he had issued several executive orders which limited travel from certain areas of the world, specifically the Shenzhen area, and then China, India were added in at later dates. These executive orders stated that people from those areas, except for certain groups, could not travel to the United States from those areas unless they went somewhere else first and quarantined for two weeks. Then they could travel to the United States. Nothing in those executive orders required or even allowed the Department of State to decide to stop issuing visas. However, the Department of State took those executive orders and stated that they would not issue visas in those countries unless the person had a national interest exemption or they were exempted under the executive order in some way. Like I said, I've been saying since the beginning, Department of State can't do that. Luckily, someone did sue the Department of State and a district court judge just agreed with me on this issue and put his ruling into place stating that the Department of State cannot decide to not issue visas with these types of travel bans unless it specifically states that they are allowed to do so. Our second quick take deals with senior State Department officials who've resigned in protest of the treatment of Haitian refugees. There have been two recent resignations from the Biden administration, Daniel Foote and Harold Coe, And those resignations were accompanied by powerful condemnations of the administration's ongoing deportations of Haitians to a nation buckling under the strain of political violence, an earthquake's devastation, and climate-related disasters. To carry out these deportations, the administration continues to rely on public health authority, Title 42, When asked to comment, Dr. Anthony Fauci said, My feeling has always been that focusing on immigrants, expelling them, is not the solution to an outbreak. When you have 700,000 Americans dead and millions and millions and millions of Americans getting infected, you don't want to look outside to the problem. The problem is within our own country. Certainly immigrants can get infected, but they're not driving the force of this. Let's face reality here. The third quick take is dealing with the Senate parliamentarian and where they went wrong in their decision against the immigration provisions in the Reconciliation Bill. I've talked about the Reconciliation Bill in the last couple of episodes and how it contained several immigration provisions dealing with granting those in the United States out of status, green cards, and had other provisions in it as well. This article talked about how the parliamentarian ignored a lot of facts 
about the past attempts in order to get to a no. It showed how all the current provisions, when all the facts are looked at together, actually has a higher budgetary impact than almost all other provisions, specifically immigration provisions, that were passed in other reconciliation bills. The conclusion of the article is that in the coming days, the Democrats will proffer other proposals with less expansive policy changes and a hope that the parliamentarian will finally get to yes by looking at history in a fair manner. The next quick take is regarding Greyhound and how they had allowed ICE agents to board buses to do immigration raids. A court just awarded $2.2 million to settle a lawsuit filed by Washington State over the company's practice of allowing CBP and ICE agents to board and search its buses without warrants. The money is going to be given to passengers who are detained, arrested, or deported after immigration agents performed immigration sweep at the bus at the Spokane Intermodal Center, as well as coming, covering some of the litigation costs incurred by the Attorney General's office. The next quick take today is another article talking about the increased caseloads at USCIS. This article notes that the Government Accountability Office recently released a report on actions needed to address USCIS's pending caseload. The GAO found that the pending caseload grew in an estimated 85% between fiscal year 2015 and fiscal year 2020. They made six recommendations. DHS concurred with five. The article also notes that in 2012, USCIS deployed the electronic immigration system to automate roughly 90 types of immigration benefits and services for online customer filing. As of 2016, however, only two benefits have been automated, and as of today, less than a dozen have been automated. And of that, those 12, the AR-11, and the change of address, and the G3-639, and the FOIA request, are half of them. While immigration has yet to implement any of the recommendations made by the GAO, the article did end with a hopeful note that perhaps now that there's a new head to USCIS, they may actually affect some of the changes to help relieve these backlogs and bring USCIS into the 21st century. Our last quick take deals with a talk with Charles Arp Oppenheim. For those of you who do not know, Charles Oppenheim is the DOS officer in charge of the visa bulletin, and that's the bulletin that is put out every month, which indicates where they are in terms of granting immigrant visas and which categories or countries have backlogs. And he gave some insights this month as to what's happening with visa numbers. There was a slight slippage in the dates for filing EB-3 for India and China relative to September of 2021, with the October 2021 India EB-3 dates for filing beginning almost a full year earlier than in October 2020. Charlie attributes the ability of EB-2 and EB-3 India to use so many numbers to the otherwise unused numbers from the rest of the world countries. USCIS 
has also improved its reporting system, yielding improved data, which has also affected the dates. And in recent weeks, discussions with USCIS about pending cases expected to be adjudicated within the next few months, combined with final actions on cases filed in recent months, required additional reevaluation of EB3 India. This prompted Charlie to retroguess the dates for filing in these categories to limit new applications. As with final action dates, Charlie constantly monitors the situation very carefully to determine further action. The October 2021 Visa Bulletin does warn that retrogression in EB3 could occur as early as November of 2021. What that will ultimately look like is to be determined. Beginning in October, Charlie will review the amount of EB3 demand in-house, meaning consular cases, and at USCIS to determine when retrogression will become necessary. His goal is a one-time retrogression that significantly cuts off new application filings with the hope that forward movement may later become possible. Lastly, despite a high volume of EB-1 inventory, Charlie's not concerned about reaching the annual limit on EB-1. He expects a lot of unused EB-1 numbers to fall to EB-2s for use by EB-2 India as well. So now on to the main topic. The main topic this week is what do we owe Afghan refugees? This is a very good article published by AILA, the American Immigration Lawyers Association, and written by Manish Daftari. This was on the blog page of AILA. I'm going to directly quote from it, as it's extremely well-written and powerful. Ultimately, our responsibility to Afghans is a moral question. While we can apply the standards of international law, review our policy on admitting refugees, and determine whether the United States should increase the annual refugee cap, the foremost question is moral, and our morals should serve as the grounding for our legislation. Our law should be subservient to what we ought to do and not act as a wall that prevents us from acting humanely. The United States took the moral approach when reckoning with the aftermath of the Vietnam War and an impending refugee crisis. At the end of the Vietnam War, President Gerald Ford said the United States had a profound moral obligation to those Vietnamese left in danger after the American troop withdrawal. By framing the American troop's withdrawal in moral terms, it brought to the forefront the obligations and the commitments that Americans had to make to people of other nations impacted by an American-led war. Similarly, in today's situation, we should recognize that we share a common humanity with Afghans who are fleeing their country. We share the same hopes and fears, the same desire to live in a peaceful place, to pursue opportunities for ourselves and our children. Let us not lose sight of the fact that our common humanity should guide us in how we should act. Thus, the United States can show that it has learned the lessons of the Vietnam War by accepting Afghan refugees quickly and without placing unnecessary impediments on their entry into the U.S. Or to put it in philosophical terms, to paraphrase the philosopher Immanuel Kant, the U.S. has a categorical imperative to treat humanity, and in particular Afghan refugees, 
always as an end in themselves and never only as a means to an end. Personally, I also think that the above applies to how we should treat Haitian refugees as well. While we may not have caused the hurricane damage, we certainly played a large part in the political turmoil that has hurt the country for decades, as well as played a large part in creating the climate factors which have also hurt Haiti in the last decades. And now the same moral imperative that guides us with Afghan refugees should also guide our hands there as well. At this point, I would say that there's really no other word to describe how we have treated Haitian refugees except racist. Thank you for joining me for another episode. As always, if you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at immigrationbriefs.com. Music, as always, is provided by Steve Combs. The name of the tune is Newsbreaks. And I hope to talk to you all again next week. Until then, ciao.